Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The truth Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022, the 518th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and thank you to all of those listening on the day of this podcast episode's release. That means you are a paid subscriber to Substack. That is the exclusive location for day of releases of this podcast from this point forward. Actually, from last week forward, you can become a subscriber on Substack for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. It is under a quarter per episode. Plus, you'll get all the writing immediately when it is released So go on over to I'mYourModerator.Substack.com and sign up for a paid subscription if you want to keep pace with the show. So last night, yesterday, more primaries. Donald Trump endorsed Katie Britt, one in Alabama over Mo Brooks. She will be seeking a Senate seat this fall. Mo Brooks' campaign failed miserably. After a Trump rally in Alabama where Mo Brooks was one of the opening acts and he thought it would be a real crowd pleaser to strike a note of forward thinking and leaving the past behind. And he encouraged the crowd in Alabama to stop focusing on the 2020 election that was, in fact, stolen and to focus instead on the future, to focus on the 2022 midterms. The 2024 presidential election. We can't look back at 2020. And at that point, Mo Brooks's political career ended because that position is unacceptable to MAGA and it is unacceptable for Alabama Republicans. And I don't want to rehash the conversation that I always have after these primary results. It's basically every Wednesday now that you have to take into account some element of election fraud, see the primary election and the results as one possibility. That is what is being told to us, what is being reported by the news. That is part of the official story. And then you also have to consider whether or not that outcome, whether that official story was in some way manipulated or altered 
by election fraud. And that, of course, would not be part of the official story. So with that in mind, let's consider the Georgia runoff results from last night. As told to us by the media, Vernon Jones, who was a Trump endorsed candidate for Congress in Georgia's 10th district, was in a runoff election last night against Mike Collins, who is part of the rhino establishment and Brian Kemp endorsed. The results last night were, we are told, a landslide, 74 and a half percent of the vote for Collins with about 30,500 votes and 25.5% for Vernon Jones with about 10,500 votes. So we got about 41,000 total votes and about a 75-25 breakdown. That's who showed up for the Georgia primary runoff last night, or so we're told. But looking back at the Georgia primary results in the original round from May 24th, In Georgia's 10th House District, there were over 100,000 votes. So a lot more people came out for the normal primary than came out for the runoff. And to some degree, that's understandable. You would imagine a lot more interest in the main primary than in one of these runoffs. Maybe people just didn't feel like getting out of the house again or sending their mail-in ballot back in again for Vernon Jones. Maybe there just wasn't that much excitement around his campaign. Now, He is Trump endorsed. He was a frequent guest on War Room and elsewhere. He's got the name recognition. He's got uh, parts of MAGA behind him. General Flynn endorsed him, I believe. And then he has his detractors as well. But in terms of the last year and a half, Vernon Jones has been among the most vocal people on the MAGA side of things in talking about the stolen 2020 election and a bunch of other issues. I'm not a huge Vernon Jones fan myself. Something about him seems inauthentic to me. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's possible that Georgia voters felt the same way and didn't get excited about him and didn't come out. You have to allow for that possibility, but the results are nonetheless strange. In the May 24th election, Collins received almost 29,000 votes that accounted for 26, just under 26% of the total votes in the initial Republican primary, Vernon Jones finished 4,500 votes behind him around 24,000. So Collins, just a little over 25%, 25, 26%. Vernon Jones, 21.5%. That was the original runoff. Last night, Collins, 75%. Jones, 25%. Vernon Jones lost 60% of the voters who came out for him in the May primary. And again, maybe those people were out there to vote for their statewide candidates. They liked Vernon Jones the best, but didn't really care about that house race. And so they marked Vernon Jones down while they were voting for the governor primary, the lieutenant governor primary, attorney general, secretary of state. All of that was on the ballot May 24th and was not on the ballot last night. But Mike Collins somehow increased his turnout from that primary to the runoff last night. He gained nearly 2,000 votes while Vernon Jones lost 60% of his. Is it impossible? No, of course not. But just because a strange result is possible does not mean that the result is legitimate. And so it's worth considering that it's not legitimate. And what we have now in Georgia is almost exclusively rhino candidates winning in these primaries. Marjorie Taylor Greene got through, and that's all fine and good. She's one of the more popular America First candidates around the country. It is no surprise that she got through. It would have been real hard to actually convince anyone that an establishment rhino challenger to Marjorie Taylor Greene could have been successful. I don't think anyone would have bought it. So, you know, they gave us one. And that's not taking away anything from MTG. I'm sure she would have won with or without election fraud. She is a popular politician. But Georgia overall has retained all of the rhinos who were involved in the 2020 election theft in Georgia and elsewhere because 
Georgia was a key part of that steal overall around the country. And between Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger and the Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr and others in the rhino establishment in Georgia, they have done a lot to hold back the election integrity efforts, not only in terms of election integrity measures within the state, but also the ability to actually audit and check all of the work that was done in the 2020 election. They have covered up incredible amounts of evidence. They have made it impossible for people to actually review what happened there. And the proof of election fraud is even within their official reports. Brad Raffensperger was also involved in suing to keep the J. Alex Halderman report under wraps so that no one would find out that CISA and others, in fact, know that Dominion machines are totally vulnerable, totally exploitable, and actually exist only to enable fraud. So there is something pretty bad going on in Georgia, and that is not a surprise. But at the same time, we can't just ignore it. Many of the results in Georgia in all of these races that the rhinos have won have fairly unbelievable results. And we know that the Georgia primaries are beset with all new problems. Well, not all new. They're the same problems as 2020, just an entirely new version of them, a very scary variant of election fraud. This is the 2022 version. And all of that has worked to support the rhino establishment in Georgia. Brad Raffensperger was actually up yesterday with his effete sidekick and ridiculous dandy Gabe Sterling so they could appear before the January 6th committee and lie about the very violent insurrection in front of a national audience while their state is holding an election. Brad Raffensperger is the secretary of state of Georgia. Holding elections is his job. And he was in Washington, D.C., helping produce the television show. Now, as I've said many times, I am still of the belief that election fraud will be fully exposed to the country before the midterms. And I honestly think it has to be. But I can't obviously know that I'm right. But I do hold out hope that that comes as soon as possible. And when that comes, it will also expose the fact that these primary elections were also illegitimately held and replete with fraud and that the people who intend to appear as the Republican candidate on the November midterm ballot hopefully will not have the opportunity to do that because the election fraud will be proven and it will be obvious to everyone, particularly Georgia voters, that those people are all criminals and that the Democratic candidate for Governor Stacey Abrams may be the biggest criminal of them all, no pun intended. So we know we have a massive rhino problem, particularly in places like Georgia, but the truth is absolutely everywhere across the country. This is the sort of infiltration that they have been executing now for years and in some places decades, trying to make both the Democrats and Republicans all a part of the uniparty in advancing the globalist agenda, which is the global communist agenda. And there is an incentive structure built up to support that. And there is also an infrastructure. And in Georgia, that looks like publicity firms finding candidates who just are centrist Democrats and are recruited to run as Republicans so that you can run a uniparty Democrat against a uniparty Republican. And either way, the uniparty wins. And when you look at a red state like Georgia, there are many parts of that state who want nothing to do with the Democratic candidate. So they place someone with a D next to someone with an R doesn't matter who that person with an R is next to their name. Most voters who are Republican voters will vote for that person because of the R rather than the D, even though the candidate himself or herself is nothing but a uniparty communist. And a great example of that is Brad Raffensperger. He fits that description exactly. And the Georgia record did some reporting on that within the last few months to a year. I discussed that when it came out on this podcast. But a lot of people really don't understand that concept in a deep way. And last night, Project Veritas released another hidden camera video 
that does a great job of exposing this problem. So I'm going to play the video. And I think that the audio will be more than an adequate for you to understand what's going on here. But this is the campaign manager of a rhino candidate named John Curtis in Utah. And the campaign manager is discussing how John Curtis represents himself as a pro-life Republican, but his views don't actually reflect that position. He is essentially lying to his voters because he thinks they are stupid and that can be exploited. So here's the audio of the video. If you'd like to see the video, go to the info stream t.me slash I'm your moderator on Telegram, and you can find it simply by searching for Project Veritas. What is the trigger law? So when Roe v. Wade gets overturned, right? right? Or if when some states, especially the state of Utah, has what they call a trigger law, which basically says the moment that that's gone, this is a new law of the land, right? Which is? For here in Utah, it's abortion is completely illegal, which is fascinating. I never thought that Governor Cox would get into something so... Egregious. Yeah, exactly. Restrictive. <laughs> yeah. Does the congressman agree with that? No, he does not like the trigger laws. And he stated that. He has not come out and stated it. That's a problem when it comes to Republican primary, right? Um, Why can't he say it? He won't win. Last year, we lost 600, 700, uh, 800,000 babies to abortion. You tell me how we get that to zero, and I'm at the table to talk about whatever it takes to get that to zero. As a Republican, he switched about, I think he switched that year to be able to run. So he only switched just so he could run as a Republican? Yeah. Why? Um, he saw that it was ineffective to be a Democrat in Utah Valley or Utah County. Um, and so they just won't vote for you. They just won't vote for you. It goes back to the voters. Exactly. They're not willing to do the research. They want it to be easy. I, uh, it's, 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 it's voter ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. So, um, so we, we can manipulate that. Yeah. And use it to win. Yeah. Yeah. People think we're a rhino. And people think we're an establishment conservative. So it's like... So how does he make people think that... Try to keep that establishment... How can he... He stays quiet. (laughs) About what he really thinks. Yeah. Yeah. But don't you think it's better that he's not here then? Just... Yeah. And we'll get the votes just naturally incumbent. Yeah. Um, That's kind of our strategy. It's kind of what we're hoping for. And in Utah, which was fascinating, because most of the, the sentiment that I hear about Romney is disapproval. But it's also because, like, I like work with a lot of crazies not like not with john curtis but like i get phone calls and texts from constituents all over the place and crazy either crazy yeah um and that's crazy republicans i don't usually share this with people so i I (laughs) so that is a pretty good illustration of the rhino problem that we have first off the candidate john curtis represented by his campaign field director who you would think knows full well about the candidates thinking. And by the way, I think I said campaign manager before campaign field director is his technical title. So he just went and called MAGA voters crazies. He understands that Republican voters don't like Mitt Romney because Mitt Romney is corrupt and Mitt Romney is a cuck and Mitt Romney is a rhino and Mitt Romney is completely and totally corrupt. But to the campaign field director, and you would imagine his candidate as well, they just think people with that view are crazies. They can dismiss them. Those people are not important voters. They don't need to cater to them. They can simply lie to them because they just want to know that the R is next to the name. That's all they care about. Vote for him. He is saying that their strategy is to keep John Curtis away from his district. So that he actually doesn't have to talk about any of his priorities in Congress. He doesn't have to answer questions from the voters. He doesn't have to be compared to any other candidate. He can just ride the red wave as an incumbent. He'll be reelected his entire campaign. Oh, they'll be so successful. People will look at them as very good at their jobs. But the candidate is a complete and total zero. He admits that the candidate is not only willing to lie about his position on abortion to voters, but that he does lie. And that lie is actually the campaign's position because if they told the truth, John Curtis would not win. They also brought up how he isn't even really a Republican. 
he would have run as a Democrat, but you can't win that way either. So he switched over to the Republican Party so that he could run for this position and then win by lying to the voters. Now, again, you can't say with absolute certainty that this is representative of all rhinos and all establishment Republicans around the country. But are we going to pretend that this is some kind of secret operation? Again, we know that this same operation, finding Democrats at heart, putting a little R next to their name, and then getting them elected in red states is a strategy that is executed all around the country. And specifically, as I was just mentioning in Georgia. So there should be nothing surprising about this happening. And knowing this happens, there should be nothing surprising about the results, about what we get for putting rhino establishment candidates in office and pretending that somehow the job is done, that the problems are fixed. We have this red wave. The House is now Republican. The Senate is now Republican. Everything is fixed. We'll pretend all the elections were legitimate because we won. We are happy with the outcome. Now we don't work on election fraud anymore. And 2020 just disappears into the background. We look ahead to 2024 as people like Mo Brooks encourage us to do. And the Uniparty retains their vice grip on power. Now, I have friends who are very smart people and very patriotic and very devoted to this cause who don't agree with me about this. They think that what we need to do is make sure that we vote in massive numbers in November. We will somehow overwhelm the fraud, which I have said many times I don't believe is possible, except maybe in certain individual circumstances. But we will get Republicans back into office with a sweeping majority in the House. And then at that point, we will launch real legitimate investigations about all the corruption and criminality within the illegitimate Biden administration. We'll get to the election fraud of 2020. We're going to fix immigration. We're going to fix this. We're going to fix that. That is a terrible, terrible strategy. Now, it might be the best available option by the time November rolls around. And I hope that that is not the case. Because not only is that outcome less than ideal, that outcome actually has a chance to be the worst of all outcomes. Because Republicans and more centrist Republicans, more establishment Republicans, more normie Republicans, that's when they go back to sleep. They're like, oh, yeah, see, election fraud's not that much of a problem because we just had this massive Republican win. But those things aren't related. Election fraud is a problem until election fraud is gone. Election fraud will remain a problem until the machines are gone. The machines exist to create opportunities to manipulate and steal elections. There is no other use for the machine. They do not make the process cheaper by any stretch, and they don't make the process more efficient. Here we are 19 months later. And not only do we know we don't have accurate results for the 2020 election, we have still not been allowed to sufficiently audit those results almost anywhere. Placing any amount of faith in the Republican establishment or any of these rhino candidates is a recipe for utter disaster. If that happens, we're going to hear all sorts of stories about how the country is reuniting around a rational and sane and moderate and centrist middle. We're going to hear about how the American people are frustrated with the overreach of the illegitimate Biden administration, but they're still not on board with all of these MAGA priorities. They don't want to associate themselves with election deniers and people who deny the science of climate change. And then we'll be told about how great bipartisanship is. And this is what we have always wanted. The two parties working together for the benefit of the American people. And we're getting a great display of that right now. We are getting a great illustration of exactly what these people intend to do and will do if we restore the rhino establishment to office. And I'm talking about how last night, 14 Senate Republicans joined Democrats in passing what they are calling gun control legislation. And here is Mitch McConnell patting himself on the back. Time, the Democrats came our way and agreed to advance some common sense solutions 
without rolling back rights for law-abiding citizens. The result is a product I'm proud to support. You see that? Democrats came the Republican direction because responsible establishment Republicans knew that the liberal agenda, well, that's just crossing the line. They want to disarm Americans, but we don't want to disarm Americans. We just want to help them disarm Americans. But just a little bit, not in any way that's going to affect your very precious rights. You know how they're lined up in the Constitution, that whole Second Amendment and that whole Fifth Amendment. We wouldn't want to violate those sorts of things. So what we did was bring the Democrats our direction to a Republican package that the Republican voters, the Republican electorate, they're going to respect this gun control package because all of these were Republican ideas. And naturally, the focus is always on the Second Amendment, but this is the Fifth Amendment. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger. Nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. And what the red flag laws do that they are trying to push through is violate that exactly. Because in these red flag laws, The standard is not whether or not some person committed a crime. It's whether or not that person has been reported to the state as someone who might be potentially violent and a court goes ahead and agrees with that. That's all it takes. And then they can come seize your property without you being convicted of a crime or even charged with one. And that's especially dangerous when you realize that we are in a period right now where the state is labeling the citizens domestic terrorists simply for disagreeing with the state. And if that principle holds, you can imagine that they will use these claims of domestic terrorist to take to the court and say this person must have their firearms seized by the state. So they are directly violating two constitutional amendments in the Bill of Rights that exists to guarantee our human rights and natural rights in the laws of the land. And these very serious, very astute Republican senators are busy telling us that they have constructed these gun control laws with our rights in mind so we can trust that our rights are not being violated. Now, the Rhino Senator from Texas, John Cornyn, was the lead negotiator for this package, and he gave himself a big pat on the back last night in a speech in the Senate, and I want to share that with you. I received tens of thousands of calls and letters and emails with a singular message. Do something. Do something. Not do nothing. But do something. Texans are disgusted and outraged by what happened at Robb Elementary, and they want Congress to take appropriate action to prevent the loss of more innocent lives. I don't want us to pass a bill for the purpose of checking a box. I want to make sure we actually do something useful, something that is capable of becoming a law, something that will have the potential to save lives. I'm happy to report as a result of the hard work of a number of senators in this chamber that we've made some serious progress. All right. So the senator from Texas, who we are expected to believe is feeling the Uvalde shooting, especially personally, because it happened within his state. 
Well, he's a very responsible establishment conservative. We're all supposed to trust that he is representing not only his citizens, but the Republican Party as a whole. And he has gone ahead and taken the lead on the gun control negotiations on behalf of his citizens who are crying out for Congress to do something, to do something. Got to say it twice, not do nothing. That's his mission. Do something. Do something, not do nothing. That is what the citizens of Texas want from the Congress. Now, the citizens of Texas are like the citizens of everywhere else. They don't trust the Congress at all. They don't trust the Senate at all. And unless you are completely addicted to the central narrative or just a dyed-in-the-wool communist, you most likely would generally prefer if the Congress did absolutely nothing all the time, particularly when it comes to issues like this, where doing something actually strips away the rights of the citizens. Now, like Mitch McConnell, John Corning gets up there and makes a note of how the something he wants to do is something that could possibly become law. And when he says that, he means that the way they have written this law will be solid enough legally and constitutionally that it won't be struck down by the courts on the basis of its unconstitutionality in regard to multiple aspects of the Constitution. Now, that is totally wrong. But John Cornyn is expecting his great gravitas and that little R next to his name to do all the work for him. They can go out and call this bipartisan. They have reached a compromise on behalf of the American people. And that's why they were able to attract these 14 Republicans who are all either retiring or not up for election this year. And it's funny that over the last week, some of the media analysis has been that Mitch McConnell and the Republicans wanted to get more than just the 10 Republicans necessary to override a Senate filibuster. They wanted to provide some breathing room. They wanted to provide some cover for senators that would vote with the Democrats to restrict Americans' rights vis-a-vis -vis the Second Amendment and the Fifth Amendment. It would be too difficult for each and every one of the Republicans siding with the Democrats to have to defend that decision to the voters. The voters obviously don't want them to do it. So what they have to do is provide enough Republican senators so that none of them in particular have to shoulder the blame. And all of that is an admission that they are not acting on behalf of their constituents. Unless, of course, you take that second step and say, well, who are their real constituents? Well, their real constituents are the global communists in power who continue to empower these politicians by having them reelected in fraudulent elections. That system and the election infrastructure does actually work to help both Republicans and Democrats. The problem is not just Democrats. The problem is the Uniparty. And this is how the Uniparty operates to make sure that they stay in power forever while accomplishing the steps of the global communist agenda. And the step that they are attempting to accomplish here is the disarmament of the American citizenry over the next few years. So Cornyn wants to do something about guns. He wants to do something, do something, not nothing. And since he knows that the Second Amendment says that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, and he also knows that he's infringing upon that. He wants to let you know that he is actually not infringing upon that. If you think that he is, well, that part was the Democrats fault. And it would have been worse if John Cornyn hadn't made it so that you were being infringed upon just slightly less. You see, you can't blame him. The people demanded action. And what do you want? Democrat action? Of course not. So Republicans are going to be the ones who push the action, and it'll be exactly the same as what the Democrats were pushing, except with an R next to it. But that wasn't the only problem with Cornyn's little back pat cry session.
the something that he wants to do is something that he describes as having the potential to save lives. Will it save lives? Probably not. Almost definitely not. In fact, it may end up having a death toll because laws like this are asking for unnecessary confrontations between police and gun-owning citizens, including law-abiding gun-owning citizens, because you don't actually have to break a law to have a red flag law applied to you and to have your weapons seized. One would think that the representatives from the conservative party, whose brand is preserving the Constitution and our constitutional republic, would not advocate for directly infringing upon our constitutional rights is a wise move when you are also admitting that it only has the potential to save lives. Any good that may be provided by these gun control measures is only a potential good, while the downside is wholly predictable and knowable and a direct violation of constitutional rights. So even if what they were doing was not unconstitutional, they are weighing a potential benefit against a guaranteed downside. That is not a good deal, no matter how you slice it up. There is nothing mysterious about this. So Republicans generally don't want this. The voters are not clamoring for it. That's a complete and total invention of the central narrative that the country is all united around wanting gun control passed right now. That's not true at all. But the TV says it so the politicians can get away with it. And the TV is now covering for the uniparty completely. They're all very proud of these Republicans. All of these Republicans will be able to pat themselves on the back. MSNBC will talk about how great they are for a few days. They'll talk about how crazy MAGA is for speaking out against these Republicans. They'll pretend that these Republicans are very responsible and very reasonable to buck their own constituencies because, you know, their constituencies, they're all those crazies, all those crazies who think Mitt Romney isn't a very good guy. How crazy would you possibly have to be? Well, if you're crazy enough to think Romney's a bad guy, surely you are too crazy to listen to when it comes to whether or not you want your rights stripped away. So what exactly is in this gun control bill? This is from the National Association for Gun Rights, and they break down a bunch of the elements in the bill. And I want to go through those. The bill bans gun possession based on juvenile records for all gun owners. This is retroactive. So if a gun owner committed a disqualifying crime at age 16 and he's now 45, he would lose his gun rights as soon as this bill was enacted and would need to dispose of his guns. Does that sound like a reasonable measure to prevent mass shootings? The bill strips gun rights for adults based on mental health care after the age of 16. If a juvenile is involuntarily sent to a mental health hospital, a decision often made by state social services authorities, not the parents, his gun rights would be stripped for the rest of his life. It opens up decades old juvenile records, dumps them into the NICS prohibited persons list, and then uses them to disqualify gun purchases for law-abiding adults. What state records would qualify and which would not are left unclear and would likely be up to the state. The bill makes it much more difficult for 18 to 20-year-olds to purchase any firearm. The three-day waiting period would be extended to 10 days for anyone under the age of 21 if NICS found any hint of a quote-unquote problematic juvenile record. NICS would ask the state and local repositories for details on juvenile mental health and criminal records during that time. And just to be clear, NICS is the National Instant Criminal Background Check System. The bill authorizes $750 million in federal funding for state red flag gun confiscation programs, 
with no due process protections, as I was mentioning earlier. This funding is through an existing grant program, which the bill expands to cover state red flag programs. So that is three quarters of a billion dollars going out to states to incentivize them to enact these plans. And that essentially amounts to a payoff for states to be extra strict about gun laws and which states will those be? Oh, those will be the blue ones that already want to do this stuff. So they're getting paid to do the thing that they already want to do, which is very typical of any uniparty bill, because the purpose is distributing taxpayer money to people and organizations who will support the global communist agenda. The bill provides $300 million to dump juvenile records into NICS and start reporting on them without due process. $200 million would go to the states to cover their new juvenile records reporting requirement. And $100 million would go to meet the quote unquote additional resource needs of the NICS system. This is a massive expansion of the NICS database. The bill strips gun rights due to toxic dating relationships or bad breakups, misdemeanor gun violence convictions involving current or former dating partners defined vaguely enough to cover close platonic friendships would result in the loss of gun rights. The bill could open the door for senior citizen gun bans via suspicious funding for the Medicare Improvement Fund. The bill leaves the amount and the purpose blank. The bill opens up floodgates for prosecution of law-abiding gun dealers. The new language defining dealer means that the FFL, the Federal Firearms License, and in this case, the Federal Firearms Licensee, could be prosecuted for, quote unquote, dealing without a license for selling guns later used in crimes. They note it is unclear how far this language goes and if it would apply to guns later sold to a criminal third party. In addition, if the FFL had, quote unquote, reasonable cause to believe the gun will be used in a crime, whatever constitutes reasonable cause, he would be prosecuted under the new definition of gun trafficking. And the bill criminalizes more private gun sales. The bill expands the definition of FFL to someone who sells guns to, quote unquote, predominantly earn a profit instead of someone who does it to earn a living. This greatly expands the possibility of prosecution for dealing without a license for private gun sales. So can anyone figure out how any of these things will stop mass shootings? Remember, we used to have far more permissive gun laws and mass shootings just became a thing a few decades ago. But now it's a problem that must be solved. And we are meant to believe that the list of items you just heard me relay are all going to alleviate that problem somehow. But of course they won't. And it's ridiculous to think they will. How is it possible that all of these mass shooters are known of by law enforcement before they carry out a mass shooting? Why aren't we focused on that problem? And why is nobody focused on the fact that the Uvalde incident in particular was a complete and total disaster for law enforcement. At this point, it's looking like they allowed it to happen. It wasn't that they weren't able to safely respond. It was that they decided not to respond in any way that had the potential to actually save the lives of those children who we've been told were shot in that school. It seems like what they've done is just figured out what sorts of citizens they can easily target for gun confiscation without raising too much of a fuss from the public. Because to make a fuss about it, they could easily then just simply accuse you of choosing criminals over children, which is an argument they love, except when they start talking about not prosecuting criminals in cities with Soros district attorneys, or when they talk about just emptying jails because of coronavirus. Hey, we're just going to send 7,000 felons back on the street because we're worried about them getting the sniffles in prison 
And that happened in California in 2020 and multiple other states. So the MAGA movement is growing. The America First movement is growing. The truth movement is growing. Donald Trump's approval level is 90 plus percent among Republicans. And these establishment rhinos are pretending that they represent actual American voters by doing what they're doing. But they aren't. And if you want to cite poll data, that's fine. Do that until your little heart's content. But you can know the truth of what I just said when you realize that all of the Republican senators are either retiring or not up for election. This group was selected to vote for the gun control measures because there's no way of holding them accountable in the near term. And if the Uniparty retains power, there's no way of holding them accountable in the long term either. This just is what these people do, and we have to begin understanding it. Now, there was an interesting piece put out by Forbes of all places yesterday that further illustrates the sort of corruption that the Uniparty encourages and the fact that elections don't actually hold these people accountable because if you do the work of the global communists of the Uniparty, you will be rewarded even if somehow it's decided that you will not stay in power. And the way to do that is by payoffs on the back end. The headline is Revolving Door Riches, How Obama-Biden Officials Cashed In During the Trump Years. Most people have heard of Washington's revolving door, which allows politicos to cash in on their government service by roving between the public and private sectors, leveraging their government connections and know-how. Distaste for the revolving door and the potential conflicts of interest it creates is one of the few things that can unify Republicans and Democrats. Presidents Donald Trump and Joe Biden both enacted rules to try to limit those interested in passing through the revolving door. Yet officials on both sides of the aisle have also taken advantage of the revolving door. A first of its kind analysis conducted by Columbia University's Brown Institute for Media Innovation, Muckrock and Forbes identified 151 officials who left the government in the final days of the Obama administration, then returned under Biden. We were able to track down before and after sets of financial disclosures for 77 of those officials, allowing us to see how their personal finances changed when they passed through the revolving door. The data is clear. The officials' median assets increased an estimated 270% over four years. By comparison, total household assets increased 38% nationwide from 2017 to 2021, according to data published by the Federal Reserve. The S&P 500 went up 70% over the same period. The figures highlight why it's so tempting for public officials to leverage their government experience for private gain. This shows what the revolving door is all about says Craig Holman of Public Citizen, a left-leaning think tank that advocates for corporate accountability and lobbying reform. People swing through the revolving door to enhance their personal wealth. Walter Schaub, who served as director of the U.S. Office of Government Ethics during the Obama and Trump administrations and now works at a watchdog organization called the Project on Government Oversight, came to the same conclusion. In any one official's case, there might be an explanation. But it's hard to believe there is an explanation for all 77 of them. Boiled down, the revolvers follow three basic formulas. The first, joining a big company and earning a big salary. Consider Samir Punyani, who started his career as a 23-year-old staffer on Obama's 2008 campaign before joining the Department of Defense and in 2017, jumping to defense contractor Booz Allen Hamilton. Punyani eventually earned $293,000 as a lead associate at the company. His wife, Bhavna Changrani, also worked for Booz Allen Hamilton as a lawyer. In 2017, they reported less than $15,000 in retirement savings. But by 2021, they had built up an investment portfolio of $293,000 to $970,000, according to their financial disclosure reports, which list assets in broad ranges. 
Property records show that the couple also upgraded their $465,000 Washington apartment to a $900,000 townhouse in 2020. Asked about their finances, Pugnani declined to comment. It's not just mid-level employees who benefit from the revolving door. Between his tenure as a four-star general and the U.S. Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin joined the boards of Raytheon Technologies, Nucor Corporation, and Tenet Healthcare, earning more than a million dollars in cash and $2 million in equity grants. In 2018, he and his wife purchased a $2.6 million home outside the nation's capital, now part of their roughly $7 million fortune. Representatives for the Department of Defense did not respond to requests for comment. Those who don't work directly for a big company can join a law or lobbying firm. Beth George, a lawyer in the Defense and Justice Departments under Obama, advised senior officials on national security and policy issues. Then she headed to Silicon Valley, where she joined Wilson Sonsini, Goodrich, and Rosati. In 2020, she earned $1.8 million working with companies like Google, Twitter, and Snap. George briefly served as the acting general counsel for the Department of Defense in 2021 before returning to the more lucrative world of private practice. George did not respond to a request for comment. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas left the Obama administration in 2016 to join Wilmer Hale, a powerful firm in D.C. Over the next four years, he worked with clients like MGM Resorts, Blackstone and Northrop Grumman. When Mayorkas rejoined the government last year, he disclosed a $3.3 million partnership share, plus a payment of a million dollars or more still due to him. No one in our analysis reported receiving quite as much from a law firm as Mayorkas, who is now worth an estimated $8 million. His representatives in the Department of Homeland Security did not respond to a request for comment. The third route through the revolving door, starting up your own shop, James O'Brien, Biden's coordinator for sanctions policy, and what a good job he's done, led the European practice at international advisory firm Albright Stonebridge while he was out of government. The State Department underscored O'Brien's resume, which includes working on sanctions programs for the United States and the United Nations, as well as serving as a special presidential envoy on two occasions. Jim O'Brien's qualifications speak for themselves, a spokesperson said in a statement. O'Brien's former firm has sent more than a dozen of its alumni into the administration, raising concerns about its influence within the government. The State Department spokesperson refused to be identified, providing additional information about O'Brien's work at Albright Stonebridge. The same concerns surround West Exec Advisors, a strategic consulting firm that Secretary of State Antony Blinken co-founded in 2017, working with clients such as FedEx, Blackstone and Uber, Blinken grew the firm quickly. In 2018, he and his wife, Evan Ryan, also a former Obama and current Biden employee, bought a $4.3 million house outside of D.C. Three years later, as Secretary of State, he listed $1.2 million of guaranteed payments and distributions from West Exec, as well as over $1.2 million of investments connected to the firm. He's now worth an estimated $10 million. Secretary Blinken has made clear that we adhere to the strictest ethical standards and that our only consideration will be in the national interest. Ned Price, a spokesperson for the State Department, said in a statement, every State Department official will abide by applicable disclosure requirements and strict ethics rules, including recusals when appropriate. That, of course, includes the secretary. And as always, things don't happen if there are rules against those things happening. So as long as you know that the rules are in place, that means that you can rest easy knowing that no one is breaking the rules, especially in the most transparent administration ever. Adherence to ethics restraints doesn't always preclude making money via the revolving door. Government insiders can sell understanding of the government at a high rate, says Jeff Hauser, who scrutinizes the revolving door through his work at a left-leaning think tank called the Center for Economic Policy and Research. It does not matter if they take on the name lobbyist, consultant, attorney, or strategic advisor. Representatives of the Small Business Administration, Office of the Director of National Intelligence, White House, and State Department said in statements that their employees face routine and stringent ethics requirements while in office. 
On the day he became president, Biden issued an executive order that banned officials from working on some issues like regulations and contracts that are directly related to their former employers and clients. President Biden has established the highest ethical standards of any administration in history, the White House said in a statement. The ban, however, only applies to cases where a personal service has been provided to the company in question, which also has to be named party in the policy discussion. In reality, much of what a corporation wants from the government is more abstract. For example, broad tax relief or general trade policy. Biden's ethics advisors don't, quote, think like people who are trying to follow the spirit of the rules, end quote, says Schaub the former ethics director, who has been in touch with the White House officials over the past year. They think like lawyers who are trying to literally follow rules, end quote. And the article continues on through the methodology of the survey. So what we have here is a pattern of people being employed in the government, employed in the private sector, going right back to government or using their government connections to advocate on behalf of private organizations. And there should be nothing principally wrong with that. But in practice, it's a disaster. If the intent of these officials is to follow the letter of the law while completely overriding the spirit of the law, then the ethics rules clearly aren't working. And that's what the focus should be. Instead, we have people doing things that are obviously unethical and explaining it away by saying, well, it's legal, so it can't be unethical, but that's not how ethics work. There are plenty of bad laws. In fact, bad laws are put in place all the time because of these practices, because people have certain insider connections to government so that loopholes in the law can be opened specifically for the thing that they or their organization actually want to do. And what you can see emerge is that all of these people are essentially on the team, the uniparty team. They will be moved around as little chess pieces to wherever they are needed and to wherever they can receive the payoff that they are promised. And that is what it is. It is favor trading. You do this, you push this through, and we will give you a payoff afterward. You make our tax bill lighter, you're going to get a payoff cut down some regulations to make it easier for us to do business, you're going to get a payoff. Where does that payoff come from? Well, if you are emptying out the federal government's coffers to then replace it later with the money of the people and emptying it out by giving tax advantages to particular corporations, then the payoffs are essentially coming from the taxpayer. You're also giving these corporations competitive advantages that they would not earn in a free market. So you are distorting the market by doing that. You're making it easier to compete for the biggest, most powerful firms who are also the most well-connected in Washington, D.C. So that is the government picking the winners and losers. And as those winners keep winning more and keep swallowing up more of the market in their industry, they become monopolistic. They become monopolistic because they are working in partnership with the government and the government needs them and is also able to exert control over them to enhance their own power. And that just goes back and forth. And sooner or later, what you find is a joining of the authoritarian and totalitarian state, the corrupt state, and all of these businesses that support the state as long as the state supports them. And there is a name for that style of government. And the name for that style of government is fascism. No, sorry, Mika Brzezinski. It's not a Senate candidate making commercials with guns. I'm sorry to disappoint you. And call me a conspiracy theorist, but I think that we might get to witness this process in play in real time when we see what happens when Doug Ducey leaves the governor's office in Arizona, because Doug Ducey was deeply involved in the election fraud that took place in November 2020 and the cover up since then. It seems that Doug Ducey's reward for going along with all of that was to become the new Republican senator from Arizona. 
Except the thing is, everybody hates Doug Ducey. So that didn't work. And he had to drop out of that race. And now we're down to basically Mark Burnovich and Blake Masters. And we'll see who, quote unquote, wins that primary. But Doug Ducey is still owed and he is still a player. And that is why he's been going around the country with people like Mike Pence and Pete Ricketts to go campaign for people like Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp also deeply involved with the election fraud of November 2020. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Brian Kemp. He was named the Republican candidate for governor by virtue of Georgia's fraudulent primaries, and he will very likely lose to Stacey Abrams. At that point, what will Brian Kemp do? Brian Kemp still needs his reward. And if everything remained the same between now and the beginning of next year, you can expect that sometime around the beginning of next year, we'll find out exactly what his reward was by where he goes to get paid. And so what we have is this uniparty, this team, this system that just supports the whole thing internally, because what they're really supporting is the global communist agenda. They have the money flowing in from wherever they need it. You heard the corporations listed in that Forbes article, places like Blackstone and Uber and FedEx and Northrop Grumman, Uber and Blackstone are both World Economic Forum partners. You've got the law firms that represent the big tech companies. And this is the business model. Extract power and money from the government. In return, you do the things that the government wants you to do because that's how you get the wealth and the power. And unless you commit a crime, which many of them do, but unless you actually get charged with a crime and convicted of a crime, well, your work prospects aren't hurt. The corporations will still hire you. You didn't do anything wrong in their eyes. In fact, you're doing exactly what they need you to do. And it becomes easy to see all of this as a system of corruption and a total lack of accountability. And when the voters can't punish your corruption through free and fair and legitimate elections, and the same people have taken over the legal system and the court system, well, then there's no accountability at all for anyone. So there is no reason for them to respect their voters, as we could hear in that Project Veritas video. There's no reason for them to respect their voters, as we can hear from Mitch McConnell and John Cornyn, pretending that they are actually out there protecting people's rights by making this a bipartisan bill, a Republican bill. And if you think that any of this, any of this corruption will be removed from the system by the same people who created the corruption and profit from the corruption just because they have a little R next to their name. I would think that perhaps you are missing some of the critical knowledge that the last couple years have revealed. The solution to this, as it is for the rest of the problems in our government and to some degree in our culture, is full public disclosure and exposure of election fraud. That is the goal. That has always been the goal. That needs to still be the goal. We can't save America by electing more rhinos. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!